And if you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 1, we're going to go through a series um, entitled Power to Be His Witnesses. And in our minds, we were like a microwave society. We want everything done immediately. And if it's not done immediately, then we just think it doesn't work and we get rid of it. But God's not a microwave God. Now, He can do things suddenly. And we're going to read about that. But He's not a microwave type of God. So in Acts chapter 1, verse 7, and this is, verse 8 will be our main context, but we're going to start in verse 7. He said to them, it is not for you to know the time, know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when. Everybody say when. He doesn't use the word if. He uses the word when. Okay, When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when He had said these things, as they were looking on, He was lifted. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Isn't that awesome? So I just want you to know he's coming back. I'm not sure some of us believe that, but he is. All right. So this morning, we're going to start off looking at the word power and looking at the word witnesses. And then we're going to progress from there. Um, and so the word power in here in verse eight is, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. It's the word dunamis. And it's where we get the word dynamite from. And it means a power that is explosive, dynamic, and full of phenomenal potential. When you receive Christ, that's in you. Isn't that awesome? It's a power that comes from God. It's not from within us as if we had it. It comes from God. It's something that God places within us. And it's the great power of God, meaning His almighty power. And it includes the sense of his omnipotence, his omnipotent majesty, miraculous power used to perform mighty deeds. It has the connotation of authority, might, abundance, wealth. And that's inside of us. Isn't that awesome? And, and we sit here and something happens to us and we're like, oh, you know, we start crying and everything else and thinking life is so horrible. But this is inside of us if we believe in Jesus Christ. On the day of Pentecost, miraculous events happen. Miraculous things happen. Because I don't know that we in the church have this understanding. I know a few people do, but not everybody does. Do you know that the work of the Holy Spirit is a supernatural work? It's supernatural because it's not in us. It's not a natural thing for us to be able to do what he does in us. So it's supernatural. And 
you know, we just kind of ho-hum about the Holy Spirit and about God. But there's supernatural signs and wonders that God wants to do in us, through us, for us. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. We were in one, just maybe on your same page. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound. I say a sound. Like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And so I want to remind you on this. It's a sound. It's not a mighty rushing wind. But it's a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Because if it would have been a mighty rushing wind. They'd be gone right now. Because this is God. But. And if you read more, we're going to read a little bit more, but you have to go further. Even those who were in the upper room, they heard that sound. But those who were outside heard that sound as well. And they needed to find out what that sound was. Verse 3. So we have, first of all, we have the sound like a mighty rushing wind. Verse 3 says, in divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. That's miraculous. That is not something that they did. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so I just want to encourage you. This is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. This is His power living in us. And it includes a supernatural power, a power that we do not possess on our very own. Now, if you'll turn with me to the Gospel of John chapter 1, John uses this same word for power, but in the ESV translation, it's not translated as that, but it's okay the way they did it. Um, But I just want to, I want you to see that there's power with the Holy Spirit. He, he doesn't come to. Um, <laughs> uh, pat our back. Rub our shoulders. Rub our feet. Until we get to heaven. He, he's not like that. He's not passive. He wants to be active in his life. Now he can be passive if you choose to. He doesn't have to be active in your life. If you choose not to. But that's not his intention. When he comes, he intends to show up and he intends to let everybody know he's there. All right. So in John chapter one. John is speaking. And he says this, verse nine, John one, nine. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And, you know, that's true today, too. We have believers who don't know him. They've known about him. They've known him at one time, but they don't know him now. Verse 11, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. And remember these words. Verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. And that word right means power. He gave them the power to become the children of God. 
Verse 13, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so, as we have this word right or power, we have the power to become the children of God. It's that dunamis that God places within us. In other words, we have to get the picture that it doesn't matter what our background comes from or was like. That, that has no bearing on whether we're children of God or not. What is the bearing of it is the fact that now when we place our faith in Christ, we have that power. The Holy Spirit comes and he picks us up and he places us in the family of God. And it, so you could have the most messed up family that there is. And trust me, I've met some. You're like, ah, can't believe this. You wouldn't even write a movie on it. But God gives us the ability, the power to become his sons and his daughters. But that power is contingent because he said in there that that right, that power was only to those who believe because he came to his own. He came to the world and the world didn't accept him. And so it's important that we understand that as well. Because John is very certain in his contrast of Jesus coming to his own and his own did not receive him. And therefore, they didn't have the privilege or the power or the right to become the children of God. But we do. And that's going to lead me to this point that um, I, don't, I, I just don't think we, we have a grasp on this. When we become born again, we become born again as infants in Christ. Doesn't matter how old you are. You can be 82 years old in the natural, but when you come to Christ, you come as an infant. When you're born again, you're born again as a baby. Okay, the scripture is very clear on that. And infants, babies, they're immature. But what God gives us the power to do is to grow up and to come to that place of maturity. He gives us the power to be born again into the family of God, to belong to him. But then there's the growing up that we have to do. And we have to be honest with ourselves. There's a lot of people who are choosing not to grow up in their faith, not to come to maturity in their faith. They, they just want to stay as infants. And, you know, um, you, you have to admit this. Infants are cute. I mean, they really are. Babies are cute when they're babies. And even if they mess, they're still cute. But you know what the problem is? Is no parent ever desires for that child to stay an infant the rest of their life. Now, we say that, oh, they're so cute. I wish they would never grow up. No, you really do want them to grow up. You don't want to be changing their diaper when they're 28 years old. Trust me. You don't want to be tying their shoes when they're 28. You don't want to be picking out their clothes at 28. You don't want to be paying their food bill at 28. You, you want them to grow up. And yet we come to Christ and then we think, well, he's got me. That's good enough. And then we don't pursue growing up. We don't hunger for becoming more and more of what God wants us to become. 
You know, when he made us, he made us for a plan and a purpose. Mike shared that earlier. And if that's true, if he has a plan and a purpose for each one of our lives, what are we doing to walk into that? To grow into that? To come to that place of maturity? So there's a level of cooperation that we have to have with the Holy Spirit. We, we want to be transformed. Well, a baby is transformed by doing a lot of things, by eating a lot, by doing exercise, by making messes. And we're transformed in the spiritual realm the same way. And, you know, for this church, you know, one of the things that we've really tried to instill is the fact that whenever you try something for the first time, you're probably not going to do it very good. So try it again and try it again until you figure out, well, this isn't for me or, hey, it's now working. So an infant doesn't have problems making mistakes. A toddler doesn't. But when we continue to make the same mistake when you're 60 years old, there's a problem. You haven't grown up. You haven't been transformed. And the Holy Spirit has come and given us the power to be transformed. He's given us the power to change us. But it's a process. And here's what I'm talking about. We want to be God's witnesses, but we don't want to go through the process of growing up. And I'm here to tell you, if you don't go through the process of being transformed into the likeness and image of Christ, you are never going to be His witness. It will be impossible for you to be his witness if you're not willing to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and be transformed and become more and more like Christ. And, you know, we have this notion that, well, I've been saved for 40 years, so you're mature. That's not a guarantee. I know 40-year-old believers who aren't mature at all. And they're still struggling through life. I know some that are <clears throat> older than that and they're struggling. So it's not longevity of your natural life. It's how you're progressing with the Holy Spirit. Back to Acts chapter 1 verse 8. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We, we have read these scriptures and, and we just think that when we become born again, we're going to be the witness for God. No. It's just the beginning. Remember, you're born again as a baby, as an infant. You're not a witness yet. <clears throat> Being His witness means that we are allowing the power of the Holy Spirit who is in us to change us and cause us to grow up to become like Christ. It means that we are willing to go through the transformation process to become more and more like Christ. We can't become like Christ if we don't go through the transformation process. It's impossible. And we'll sit here and we'll say, oh, I want to be your witness. I want to be your witness. Well, here's the Greek word for witness. You ready? Martyr. Martyr. 
You want to be his martyr? It's martus in the Greek, but that's where we get the word martyr from. And it means one who testifies or can testify of the truth that of what he has seen, heard and knows. So what have you seen, heard and known from the Lord after you've been born again? If you don't know much, if you haven't seen much, if you haven't heard much, you're still an infant. If you're still throwing temper tantrums, you're still an infant. It refers to those who witness the life, death, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus or who bear witness to the truth that is in Jesus. And so we have that opportunity. What I want us to understand is, is we don't become his witnesses just because we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We become his witnesses when the Holy Spirit has us. We just think, well, if I have the Holy Spirit, everything's fine. No, it's when the Holy Spirit has us, when he's willing or able to transform us, when we're saying yes to the Lord and not our own way. Okay, that's when we become witnesses for him. We're cooperating with the leadings and the promptings of the Holy Spirit. We come to the place where we prove that he is Lord in our life, not by words, but by our actions. Remember, a while back we read the script, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? This is what I'm talking about. That's not being his witness. Being his witness means that you're hearing what he's saying and you're doing what you're hearing him say. Obeying his guidance. If you haven't figured it out, I'm trying to paint a true picture for you, but for some of you, it's a bad picture. There's a wide gap between his power and us becoming his witnesses. There's a wide gap there. There's a lot of time between that. There's a lot of pain and suffering between that power and being his witnesses. Okay? Aren't you glad you came to church today to hear that? Because there's a transformation that has to take place. We're going to talk about this in the weeks to come, but I just want to lay a foundation for it because it's important that we give ourselves to the Holy Spirit so that we grow up and come to the place of maturity. In this, I'm going to look at what the power of the Holy Spirit does in our lives. And only God knows when we're going to finish this series. But I want to start off with what I think is foundational for what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. Okay? The Holy Spirit allows us to be loved by God. I think that's the first thing that He begins to work on in our lives. 
to know that we are loved by God. We are loved by the God of the universe. Can you imagine what would happen to our life, our lives, if we would accept God's love in our lives? If we would be content to know that God loves us no matter what. You see, we put limits on God's love. We put limits on how much he can love us by comparing his love to the love we have experienced in and from this world. We have all been hurt, disappointed, frustrated, angry, and anything else you want to throw into the mix by what we thought was love and by people we thought loved us or at least should have loved us. And as I mentioned before, most of our hurts start with our parents because they're not perfect. And they don't know everything. And they will fail us. They have failed us. I don't care how great of a parent you, you want it to be, you're not going to be perfect. I don't know how to say this without sounding strange, but I'm going to give it a shot anyways. It is not necessary for our parents to have been perfect in order for us to know the love of God. What that needs to do in our lives is to let us know that they're not perfect. <laughs> but we have a perfect heavenly father who loves us, and if we will give ourselves to him, if we will turn ourselves to him, he will be that love for us, rather than us trying to find it from our parents who can't give it to us, or find it from our siblings, or find it from our spouse, or find it from our children, or whatever it is, where we're ever looking for love. I'm here to tell you, you're never going to find it until you find it in Jesus. You can search high and low but you're never going to find it. You're never going to be satisfied with love until you find the love and you rest in the love that God has for us. And so your imperfect parents, your imperfect situation, however you came into this world, whatever, uh, pardon my French, crap you had to go through, it's all designed for you to come to the place where you turn to God and you give yourself to him and you allow him to love you because he's the only one who will love you without failing you. Now, there's going to be moments in your life that you think he's even failed you, but he hasn't. Just as we heard earlier from Mike, God's working a plan in us. He's weaving that plan in us. And we have a straight line that we think God ought to take us on. But God has all these hills and valleys and curves and rivers and all kinds of things that we have to work our way through. But God has a plan for that as well. But instead of turning to God, what usually happens is we close him off and we keep him at a safe distance. Because we don't want to be, and, and I guarantee if you're human, you've used this word, this phrase before. 
You don't want to be hurt by love again. Well, guess what? You are made to love. And if you are going to love, you are going to get hurt. You see, we have this notion that if we love, we're not going to get hurt. But then we fail to connect that with Jesus and his life. I mean, he was loved by the Father. He loved the Father. He loved us. And look at the hurt that he experienced. Look at the pain and the rejection, the suffering that he experienced. And then we think, oh, well, we're greater than Jesus. We're not going to, we're going to love, but we're not going to be affected by it. Well, then you're not going to really love. Sorry, I'm giving you so much good news this morning. We've learned because of our natural circumstances, and and we have to do that to survive. We've learned how to compartmentalize love and to keep people at a distance. But we try that with God, and then he starts bringing down the walls, and then we have to let him in more and more, and you know, that's, that's the process. That's the power to become his witnesses. You, you are, look, the reason you came to Jesus is because you got convinced that you're messed up. And you need him. And so now he's trying to work from the power to you becoming the witness and we complain the whole time and then we don't want to do it. And then we get this notion that we're looking for unconditional love. And the world, this is the world's mantra right now is, well, let's just have unconditional love. And they don't even know what unconditional love is. You know, To love unconditionally means you are going to suffer. You are going to hurt. Okay? Adam turned away from God. Turned away from his love. And then we're suffering. Okay? But God sent Jesus to redeem us, to fix all of that, and to love us unconditionally the way God loves us unconditionally. Because the way the world says, well, you have to love me unconditionally means that I have to like what you're doing and I have to agree with what you're doing. And that's not true at all. Unconditional love. Here's the difference between love and unconditional love. Because I can love you unconditionally, but I don't have to like you. I don't have to like what you're doing. I don't have to agree with what you're doing. But I do have to love you unconditionally because that's what God has said. But here's what true, and, and the world doesn't understand this, true unconditional love always, if I say always, always requires sacrifice. Look at Jesus. He loved us, right? His love is unconditional, but it cost him 
is life. If you're going to love unconditionally, that means you're going to have to sacrifice something. And I'll tell you who and what you're going to have to sacrifice. You. Your will. Your desires. I, I know you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, do you have a scripture for that? I have plenty of them. So turn with me to John chapter 3, please. John chapter 3. You see, when Adam fell for God to love us unconditionally, he had to bring justice to us. And that justice required the sacrifice of the life of Jesus Christ because the wages of sin is death. And so we love this scripture, John 3.16. Everybody knows it. Let's read it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And so what God has done because of his unconditional love for us, he found us in sin. He knows that the wages of sin is death. And he said, I'm going to send you my son so that he's going to pay the price for you so that I can begin to have a relationship with you again. And in that relationship, I'm going to give you power to become my witnesses, which means that in between the power and the witness, he's going to pull us out of the miry clay pit that we found ourselves in, whether we dug it ourselves or somebody dug it for us, and we've just stayed in it. God will give us the ability because he has fulfilled that justice part of, of unconditional love of the wages of sin is death. And Jesus died that death. For us. So that we could be saved through him. And we read this and we think, oh, how wonderful God gave us his son. But do you think what that means? It means that Jesus was going to die for our sins. He has to. That's how much God loves us. And then we sit here and, we, and the world is saying, oh, I want unconditional love. Well, OK, I love you unconditionally. Okay, But there's some things in your life that are wrong. There's some changes that you, you need to make. Unconditional to the love to the world means this, that we can live any way we want and God has to love me. He does love you, but he may not like you. His love is certain and it's unconditional. But it also cost him his son. He did it so that we would not perish and that we would have eternal life. He sent Jesus so that we would not be condemned and instead we would be saved. <clears throat> Though he loved us, there had to be justice for our sins. And God did that through Jesus. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Please. Now. 
All right, let's just go to Romans chapter 5. To know how, how much God wants us to know that we're loved, He gives us the Holy Spirit. But in Romans chapter 5, at the beginning, he's talking about the struggles that they're going through, the difficulties that they're going through. He, he wraps it up in verse 5 and he says this, Romans 5, 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who he has given to us. You see, when we read that, we need to understand that God wants us to know his love so much that he gave us the Holy Spirit. He poured his love into us through the Holy Spirit. Why? So that no matter what you go through, you will know that God loves you. No matter what you suffer, you will know that God loves you. How do you know that? Because the Holy Spirit is in you and he has poured out his love into our hearts. Romans, he goes on in verse 6. Now, I want you to realize this. In 1 to 4, he's talking about all the struggles they're going through. And then he's talking about the, the love of God being poured into our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. Then he comes back to verse 6 because now he's reminding us of how God found us and the mess we were in. Romans 5, 6, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us or demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So he's reminding us of how God found us which was, and, and I love this, this set of scriptures for it, we were still weak, we were ungodly, and we were still sinners. And at that time, God was demonstrating his love for us. So if he was demonstrating his love for us while we were in that condition, how much more does he love us while we're going through all the struggles that we're enduring? Because the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You see, we need to get that. We need to let that settle down in our hearts and our minds. God really loves us. Somebody ought to write a song about that. Thank you. Y'all are awake. Crowder did, and we heard it this morning. He loved us before we could do anything about it or love him in return. And I just want to share this real quick. We're not almost done, so just relax. Egypt. Egypt is a symbol of slavery, of bondage, of sin, of cruelty, of the world, everything that you get if you're in the world. Okay? It represents fear. It represents the heavy, burdensome weight of sin. I, I want us to get this because we can parallel this with Jesus. God did not send Moses to Egypt to live with them. 
He sent Moses to Egypt to bring them out and to allow them to live a different life because Moses' instruction was to go to them and say to Pharaoh, let my people go that they may come serve me. And that word serve is to worship me, that they may worship me. And so God didn't go to Egypt to live with them there. He came to deliver them out of Egypt, that they would worship him. Now, listen, in the same way, Jesus did not come to earth to live with us in our misery and to live with us in our state of sin. He came to bring us out of sin. He came to bring us out of the bondage, out of slavery, out of fear, out of whatever this world offers us. God sent Jesus to deliver us from that. Just like he delivered them out of Egypt, God wants to deliver us out of this world. He doesn't want us to stay in bondage. He doesn't want us to return to the life of sin. Even though the scripture says in the New Testament that there are, and you can find this in several places, that there are many who have left the faith. They've turned away from God and they've gone back serving the world. You know, that's not good for your life. It's not. And so we have to come to the place where we understand that God sent Jesus to redeem us from a life of sin to a new life of worshiping him. That's the kind of love that God has for us. It's interesting to me that, and this has been, I don't say it here a lot, but it's been one of my favorite things, favorite scriptures. First John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. I, I would encourage you just to write that out and put it everywhere you can that you're going to look at it at your home. We love because he first loved us. First John 4.19. God is so into love that it says that he loved us first. Why? So that we could love in return. Whew. Isn't that awesome? We need to know eternal love is on our side. Our son uh, Caleb sent us a text yesterday, and I want to read it to you. Anybody know who Matthew Barnett is? Okay. He's the pastor for the L.A. Dream Center. He was the founding pastor. He's the one who got it going. Okay? Let, let me read this to you. And, and let these words sink into you. This is Matthew Barnett. Today is the one-year anniversary of my life altering event of nearly dying from three blood clots on my brain. A massive stroke. Walking out of the hospital, I didn't know what to think. I thought that after that experience, life would take it easy on me for a while. It didn't. Roof collapsed at the church had to max out my own personal credit card to help make payroll. No Sunday morning's church 
for a year, best givers in the church flee in California for a more affordable life. Many started to doubt the future of the L.A. Dream Center as I tried to convince them I'm fully recovered. Human nature, which I understand, is to get behind something they believe has sustainability since post-strike recovery isn't always perfect. Everything from vandalism to out-of-the-blue things just begin to come out of nowhere attacking my whole family. Then one day I got a simple revelation that became the core value of my life. It kept me going through this season where testing is without end. The core value is this. You are loved by God. When I realized that I had the full weight of eternal love on my side, there's no way I could ever lose. God loves the mission that I love more than I do. God believes in me more than I believe in myself. God knows the odds that are stacked against us, and he doesn't bail, abandon, or leave. His love stays and fights for his children. The full weight of heaven's love, deeply understood, is power beyond the odds, self-doubt, or fear. When it's a core conviction, it's the light switch of survival, sustainability, and the new era of supernatural vision. Thank you all so much for being so loving and kind. Quite an interesting day of reflection. If you'll stand with me. We're going to look at this, the power that God has given us to the process of becoming his witnesses. And it begins with being loved by God and knowing that you are loved by God. That, that's the first one. That's the first stepping stone. And I want to encourage you this week, just take time. You know, get in an easy chair, get in a hard chair. I don't care what kind of chair it is and just get in it and just sit there and just start thinking about all the ways that God loves you. Think about all the things he has done for you. Let it change your life. Look, I don't know anybody who's had a day like this. Or a month or a year, I don't know how long he experienced all this. But it was hard. I can promise you that. Went right along with the scripture we read out of Psalm 119. That guy was having a bad day. But God is sure. God is true. God is love. He'll be right there. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this day and the love that you have for us. I thank you for the truth of your word. And Father, I thank you that you have indeed given us the power of the Holy Spirit to become your witnesses.
But Father, I pray that we would be wise enough to give ourselves to you. That between us receiving that power and us becoming your witnesses, there's a lot of transformation. There's some pain and suffering that's going to have to occur. But Father, I thank you that you're going to be right there with us because you love us. You've proven it by giving us Jesus. And you've proven it again by pouring out your love into our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit whom you have given to us. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. All right, go have a great week being loved by God.